Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. We are. We're uh, we're redefining security here on ITSP Magazine. This is Sean Martin, and today it's all about software development and uh, the life cycle of that, the role of quality assurance, and the role of security in building products that uh, that hopefully care about intellectual property and customer privacy and all kinds of good stuff. So. Uh, I have two good friends, and they're actually friends of mine who I've uh, known for many, many years. Uh, if you could see us, I'm the gray one. Uh, but uh, we, we've spent a lot of time together in, in different places. And uh, I have Cassio Goldschmidt and Tom Morrissey on with me. Hey, guys. Hey, hey Sean. So quality assurance and security is our topic. Tom and I spent many, many years uh, building up quality assurance teams uh, at Symantec and trying to figure out how best to integrate quality assurance with engineering and product development. And and I think there's probably a lot of parallels uh, with that to security assessments, not just quality assurance, but security assurance, let's say, in development. And uh, that's what we're going to figure out. But before we get to that point, uh, a quick word from each of you who you are and what you're up to now. So Tom, I'll actually start with you. Yeah. Uh, well, this is Tom Morrissey. Um, as Sean mentioned, uh, we've known each other a long time, worked together for a very long time and uh, a sec- software security company. And currently right now, I just started uh, a new gig here uh, as a director working at OpSWAT and I'm running uh, a product team there. Uh, cross-platform 
product team uh, for their different solutions, uh, which is great. And this is a really critical topic for them as well because they're another software security vendor out there. And uh, I can't wait to see where this goes. But Cassio. Hey, so uh, I'm Cassio Goldschmidt. I'm the CISO and Senior Director of uh, Service Titan. And uh, I know Sean and Tom for over a decade now, which is quite a long time. Uh, I've worked in um, engineering teams, developing products that are were used by millions of people. Then uh, I moved and specialized in security, uh, leading a, a application security team worldwide. Then moving to uh, SaaS companies, uh, providing uh, solutions that are in the cloud, multi-tenant, and also some consulting uh, that I did in the past uh, on proactive security and how to be uh, best implement security as part of the development lifecycle. Currently, I'm with Service Titan, where I am uh, the, the CISO there. Fantastic. So I'm just going to ask a very simple question, and this will probably get us started. And Tom, I'm going to I'm going to turn it to you. In your view on the parallels between quality assurance and I'll call it security assurance in a product. Um, and perhaps your view on the current state of things uh, in terms of is that separate team, separate processes, separate communications, or are there overlaps? Absolutely overlaps. Um, I think you know, one of the things that you mentioned uh, that we struggled with uh, early on when we were working together on, on a QA teams was, you know, the basic age old question, how do you find defects earlier in the cycle? And I, I think that as that's evolved over the years, uh, we've now seen where we've moved into more of like agile type, where they're using Scrum or Kanban or different processes and the basic idea is really to integrate this type of uh, assurance and testing along with the development throughout the process. So whether you're doing the initial architectural reviews and the component designs and implementations and, and white box and, and black box testing, um, that, that you're taking all of this into account as early as possible. And I think in keeping with the spirit of that, of that mindset, that uh, you know, most QA teams, I think, traditionally think of themselves as just testing the features. You know, they're testing maybe user experience and, and if I click on this button, does it work? Or, you know, do, do these features work? Do these APIs work as intended? But there's also the outside pressures. You've got legal pressures, right? Um, you've got compliance pressures and security pressures. You've got localization pressures. And I think that all of that needs to be considered in, in, in that integrated testing. So in that, you know, in those sprints and that planning that, that it has to be part of the same team. I think that there's probably very few services I would think that fall outside of it, but I, I think it absolutely has to be a holistic approach uh, as the team delivers their pieces, um, both at a component or, you know, API level, and then also expand it out to the system level as you're going. So absolutely uh, integrated. Cassio, Tom touched on the very important point of getting it earlier in the life cycle, right? So I think in, in DevSecOps, we call it uh, shifting left. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if we want to want to go there with this, but I guess the, what I'm wondering is, looking at quality assurance, there 
um, touched on users, user use cases and, and features. And those are typically driven by a product requirements document. And maybe before that, a market requirements document that says this is kind of what we were trying to accomplish. Do you see a role for security to be uh, baked into the MRD and the PRD? And uh, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So uh, Estom's had there a number of uh, similarities in the goals for security and QA. I think overall the goal is about, it's all about quality, right? Both teams are trying to get the best product possible uh, in the hands of the customer. However, uh, there are also some things that don't quite overlap, right? So for example, uh, security is also about privacy, right? Uh, security has other goals that are uh, very different from what QA does. Uh, uh, QA is always trying to emulate uh, what the user does. And for security, uh, we have a, a different approach. We have to actually do the things that the software is not supposed to do, right? And with that, uh, that's where uh, things start to uh, diverge. But then again, because both want to actually shift left, as you mentioned, right? There are a number of things that both teams can, can work together and get done. So when we talk, for example, about reviewing uh, architecture uh, and understanding the system upfront so the test cases can be created, that type of meeting can serve both teams. It can serve security to you know, put their black hat and start looking at the system and say, how can I game the system? While QA is thinking, how can I actually test and emulate what the user will do with the system? Right. So it's really important to actually uh, work together and try to get those things done up front. And, and Cassio, you just said the role of security is to get the product to do something it's not supposed to. My, my thought is that that isn't the only thing, because I, I also feel that there's value in security going through the user interface, let's say, and, and yeah. see what what is possible. And and. Maybe it's a conversation around white box versus black box and, and uh, the role you're, of both of those, right? You're absolutely right. And uh, the way that we think in security, and uh, some companies already uh, have different nomenclatures to this kind of things, is uh, security testing and penetration test. So, for example, QA has to go and you know, uh, input uh, data in order to test the systems. So does uh, security, we have to input data. The kind of data that we're inputting is different, right? When it says, please enter a name, QA is going to enter a name, John, right? Uh, we're going to enter something like a script alert script, right? Or some type of SQL injection. Those things actually are derived, derived from the case, which is um, just input, uh, tester inputs, right? And those things can be automated and use a lot of the tool sets that QA use. So for example, you can go to OWASP and get the OWASP cheat sheets for SQL injection, cross-site scripting, and do this automation and make part of QA and create automation processes based on that. And we call those things security testing. Penetration test, which was what I was alluding to, is a little bit different because basically you're trying to do something like uh, elevation of privilege 
or try to destroy a configuration file, then in a multi-tenant environment, somebody would not be able to actually get to their account and you would knock your uh, competition out of the system that uh, you both use. So those are the kind of things that I consider more in the security side. But as you said, there are a lot of uh, opportunities here to actually automate the security testing uh, using the same tool set that QA uses. Yeah, I agree with that, Cassio. And I would say that, um, you know, one of the key things about it is, you know, in the past, I know when we've done uh, the types of security testing, it was often a separate team and sometimes outsourced. And it was something that, you know, got handed off and it was, you know, very much like a, a black box service where you just, you didn't know what they did and they'd go off and they may spend three months and then they come back and they write you a report and then you have to figure out what's important, what's not, and and how do you fix it and what will legal let you ship with and, and not. Uh, now I think it has to be much more of that integrated conversation that uh, back and forth, um, you know, there's no reason why, uh, you know, when you're planning up front a project and, and your and your designs and that, that you should know already what the security team is going to be testing. You know, they need to be part of that discussion at the table so that they're, that, that um, everybody's well aware of what's coming because then you can plan for it. Uh, hopefully not, not, none of it's a surprise. Let's talk about that. Cause the, the surprise comes if you don't know what the risk is. And uh, even just in this conversation, we, we quickly get into the technical elements of, engineering and, and testing. And, and that's kind of why I was pulling on the, the PRD and the, even the MRD stuff earlier, because I think ultimately it's it's a business decision. We At some point, I'm sure we'll talk about this product's not ready to launch, right? <laughs> who, ma- who makes that decision and who, who gets to flip that switch? Um, but if you don't know what the risk is, how can you prepare to either, well, at, at worst, prevent it from happening uh, once it's built, but even better, uh, build it so that the risk doesn't even exist if possible. So how how do we, as QA and security and engineering, come together to understand what the real risk is? And, and that's the paradox of security, right? So for example, uh, if I, as a security professional, if I don't find any vulnerabilities does it mean the software is perfect or, uh, you know, my team is just incompetent because they didn't find anything and, uh, you know, most likely there are things to be found? Uh, I think, Sean, what, what you're uh, talking about is a lot to do with the definition of done. When do we ship software, right? What's the criteria there? And when you look at security and QA, you're going to see that the way that we actually find our uh vulnerabilities or bugs uh, is a little bit different. If you plot a graph for QA, usually the way it uh, starts is QA starts the process and then slowly but surely, you're going to see an increase, which is kind of a line going up of the number of uh, defects that you find in the system. At some point, that line will become a plateau. And that means the ROI for QA is no longer there, right? In other words, you are simply uh, putting more effort and there are very few things to be found. For security, the line is a little bit different. It's kind of like an S shape because first you have to really understand the system. 
And by understand the system, I mean, you have to do what QA does, which is to understand how the system works and understanding the underlying technology that is used in order to find vulnerabilities. So the line really starts uh, very flat. And suddenly you start looking at the way things work and you start, you know, you, you just hit the jackpot and then you start finding vulnerabilities one after the other up to a point that you're going to hit, uh, reach that plateau. But the line looks more like a NAS than, uh, you know, just a, a curve that goes up and then flattens at some point. So uh, we both are going to reach the same place at some point eventually, and that's when the software is ready. But you can only declare the software is the software to be ready if QA has a really good definition of done, and that means that you must have a good definition of your test cases. So you know your test cases, and you can say yes, things are passing, and then move to uh, the next level, to the next step. I would say. Yeah, and Tom, it, you mentioned outsourced, and many people listening to this might immediately go to, well, I've outsourced this to a company, and that may very well be the case. I think in, in your definition, I believe it was a shared service within the company. Um, so I want to touch a little bit on that and, and your perspective, and then Cassio probably has some thoughts on this as well. Just when when is it? Doing nothing is not the right answer. I'll just go ahead and say that. Uh, so if you don't have the internal wherewithal, uh, resources, understanding, technology, whatever processes, uh, perhaps use a partner to help. Um, if you're building a lot of stuff, maybe a, a shared service might be helpful. Uh, but when is it appropriate to stand up a dedicated team per product? Or is it better if you're going to do that to integrate it into QA or does it integrate into dev or so it's kind of a bit of a spectrum there. So maybe your thoughts on that, that range of, of uh, options. You, you touched on a few different ones there, uh, Sean, but um, you know, I would say, uh, uh, you know, my use of the term uh, outsourced could be whether it's an internal shared service of a company or an external company. And, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those. It's really more of, uh, you know, ensuring that it's not just a handoff and that you don't talk to them again for three months until they come back with the results. There absolutely has to be that partnership throughout the entire life cycle. Um, the communication back and forth between wh whichever team that you're working with, um, outsource the shared service or, you know, on the team itself. And, and then in terms of, you know, QA team versus dev team, uh, you know, in the agile world, it's, it's, it's one team, but I would say it's, it's more of, uh, as you look at it, a, a matter of experience and uh, a, a matter of size. I mean, I can, I've been on projects where, you might only need one person, you know, depending on, on what it was you were doing. If it was just an inline release or something like that, you might need that one person with that expertise who can come in and, and, and work with the team versus, you know, a large new project that's you're going to take 18 months to get out the door. And uh, you may need a separate team in the sense of, you know, uh, uh, another set of bodies, you know, eight to 10 people that might be working on it. Um, but they have to work alongside the, the main engineering team that's developing and testing. And again, yeah, it, going back to that communication. Go, 
Yeah, sorry, Tom, because I, I remember, and I, so much has changed since I was doing this, so I don't know what, what's new that, that changes this view, but I remember a lot of the work we were trying to accomplish was to have a common understanding, a common vocabulary, um, a common view of the use cases or the tests that were going to be run. And ultimately, I think the, the, the holy grail was to get engineering to do all the QA tests <laughs> so that QA could just validate. And I, I don't know if that's possible with security or not, but it, is, that, is that an option? I, I think it is, is an option, but in my observation, I, you know, as a holy grail, I don't think it's attainable. I honestly don't think that engineers and, and developers necessarily think like their end customers, their users, and, and that, and, and that's a challenge. And I think when they're when you're too close to something, implementation wise and design wise that you won't get that just that outside in perspective. And I, I think you need that on a team and you need people separated. And, and while you can use, you know, quality assurance engineers to help automate and build those test frameworks, you, st you still need black box testers that can stand outside and, and just poke holes at it and, and not be concerned about, is it AWS or Azure or Google, you know, infrastructure, you know, they just want to poke holes in it. They just, you know, in, in a reasonable way. And then you've got the security experts that are going to try to poke holes in it in an unreasonable way because that's their job. I see Cassie yeah. smiling. Yeah, for, for as uh, the testing, external testing versus um, internal testing, there are so many flavors to, to consider. And you also have to consider the secrecy of the information and uh, how people are being motivated to do the testing, right? So for example, some companies have the luxury of creating their own uh, security team that will do penetration tests and uh, they will, their mission is really to dive deep into understanding the product to find that big vulnerability that you really need to know how the product works. At the same time, you might hire a uh, penetration test team for a couple of weeks to actually look at your product and they will look at, you know, exploitation of the frameworks that you use, common components, things they saw in other places that your security team might not be aware and come up with some really great findings, right? That sometimes are very um, uh, uh, widely known in uh, specific technologies that the team just didn't have exposure. And then there are other things that you can do. For example, uh, Internal testing, you can, you know, use people as uh, we discussed before, but you could also incentivize people to find uh, vulnerabilities by creating an internal bug bounty program, right? In other words, rewards with bonus and things like that, your people. But there were cases in companies that I've, I've heard where QA and engineering actually try to work together, creating vulnerabilities and then finding vulnerabilities in order to get the payment. Right, and if you have an external bug bounty, you have no idea uh, who is going to be testing. All you know is that people will actually sell the vulnerability for money, and that can be very scary, right? For for some companies, I always say that uh, Bitcoin. There's no reason why people would report a vulnerability when it, you know, each Bitcoin sixty thousand dollars. Just keep to yourself because the payment is right there, right? That's where the the money is. 
And, and finally, there's the case that you can actually use companies overseas to do your penetration test or companies in the US. And it really depends on the type of uh, company that you are. You might say, yeah, it's cheaper to do overseas and uh, you have a really good quality. Or if you're selling to the government, for example, it's, it's just a no-go. You cannot do tests, let's say, in, in China, right? Uh, uh, you know, security testing at least and, uh, and still wanting to sell to the government, you, you're definitely going to have uh, miss some some really big customers. I think Tom has some really great experience with uh, overseas QA, and uh, it's it's also really uh, fascinating to see how it can work, you know, around the clock and so on. Yeah, maybe Tom, you can touch on that a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing. But the the around the clock um, point, I'd I'd like to explore a bit more because uh, we touched earlier on it's done. Right, and that that assumes there's a line. We we reach the line. I remember days where we we'd work nearly 24 hours for days on end, and then we'd release, and then we'd take take a couple of weeks off because we're just fried. Um, risks and vulnerabilities don't take time off, and and uh, bad actors and and attackers don't take time off. So how do we? So taking that in mind, coupled with the fact that there aren't necessarily six-month product cycles any longer, right? This continuous continuous delivery uh, where I know some large media companies deliver every few minutes a new release of technology and applications. So so how do we get to the point of around the clock, 24-7, uh, you're, you're putting stuff out. Maybe there is a schedule of, of a big release, but how, how do we manage continuous security assessments you know good question and i would say um you know is a top level answer you know having the around the clock coverage helps you know i remember those days you mentioned you know long days uh, there was nobody to hand off to at the end of the day so having somebody to hand off to another team that can pick up and run for another eight eight hours uh it, it has been a big help it's really improved uh, life cycles to be able to speed them up, especially in the world of CICD. And uh, in some cases, people, you know, like you said, they'll have immediate, they'll have thousands of releases every day, every moment posting on their web. You know, if you're an application, uh, whether it's mobile, primarily mobile, um, you might have a release every two weeks, two or three weeks. I see some of my, my, my apps getting updated. And so uh you know, one, you have to assure the quality uh, of what's going out, but two, you want to make sure, you know, as, as we're talking about here, the security of what's going out. You don't, you don't want, you want to ensure that it's not, um, uh, none of that privacy is being uh, broken. And that's been one of the, the bigger challenges, uh, uh, some of the reasons that Casio mentions um, when, when you outsource uh, or offshore. And, and then the, you know, the communication becomes critical uh, between the two teams. And uh, depending on the time zone offset, you can run into real challenges uh, when you're working in, you know, uh, 12-hour time zone offsets versus uh, slightly shorter shorter ones. Uh, So, you know, a great team communication style becomes really critical uh, of what's going on. Uh, And then you end up, having 
ensuring that you have the right type of experts in both sites. Um, you know, whether it's the, the privacy experts, security experts, the technical, uh, you know, infrastructure, uh, experts that understand. So you get a little bit of, of that duplication, but I believe the, the turnaround cycle becomes much more valuable to the company than some of the overhead. Adding up to uh, the continuous build, which I think it's a great thing and uh, companies should be doing, uh, you know, always releasing discrete, small changes, uh, you know, lower the risk in general. Uh, but, you know, we always talk about uh, what we're doing together or what we can do together or how to build the software. But very few times we look at uh, the entire process and try to see the parts there are just uh, oversights or QA and security are not working together properly. And one of the things that uh, recently became pretty obvious in the industry is the continuous build, is the CI-CD um, process that we created that a lot of times is created by uh, or maintained by QA. And it's a comp- in a lot of cases, it's just not being properly protected from a security perspective. So take a look at SolarWinds, for example. We had uh, a huge breach and the problem was with Team City. Companies that were using Team City actually freaked out because when they look at the potential threat that they had, if their Team City was also compromised, they noticed that those machines have the key to the kingdom. They have all the, uh, you know, the, the access to the entire source code. They have uh, access to all the deployment machines. They have access to you know all your uh, certificates and so on, and and that's a big problem, right? And uh, I think that's one of the areas that when we're building all this uh, infrastructure, security is not always looking at the security of those machines and actually doing a good job safeguarding the access control and who has access and you know patching and so on. Uh, I agree, and I think that one of the things that I've struggled with. Um, you know, in, in recent past has been just mind shift change that is required um, because, you know, you opened it, Sean, that you get the pushback of, well, it's not my job. I have to test the user experience. I have to test this. I have to test that. And just that mind shift to say, no, we, we, we need to start thinking about these bigger things. And, and we all on the team, whether you're a developer or the architect or the, or the tester, have to take responsibility for that. It can't be just, you know, I'm isolated to my one little area uh, that I do because as things go out the door much more quickly, um, we all have to stand up and take that responsibility to ensure that the customers are protected um, and the infrastructures are protected. And that's been one of the, the biggest struggles because there is a lot of pressure to ship more quickly. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up a little bit here because uh, one of the things I like to do in, in this channel is really shift it left. Because my, my view is we're always trying to figure out what is the risk and how do we mitigate it. And I, I'm always confident that we can even go further and say, well, if we don't even introduce the risk in the first place, we don't have to mitigate it. So what I'm talking about here is a business process says we need to stand up this service uh, connected to this mobile app and and grab this data and store it and present it and 
the question I often ask is, can we define the business process differently and then architect this stuff differently so that we're not capturing the data, we're not storing it, we're not exposing it through a service, we're not pumping it through a web app or a mobile app in, in a way that introduces the risk in the first place. So how, how does security slash QA get involved in the business definition and then the architecture definition uh, to help perhaps to avoid the company from going down a path that, that leaves them exposed over and over and over every time they do a CICD. Yeah, so uh, the way that um, security uh, starts getting involved is before any code is actually built, right, uh, with things such as uh, thread modeling or even legal reviews, try to understand what kind of data is going to be stored in the system and look from a privacy perspective. And from a privacy perspective, you can look at the regulation, right, um, uh, related to privacy. So things like uh, government IDs and things like that, which for most people are pretty obvious to be sensitive to things that are uh, not as, um, how can I say, not often recognized as problems, right? Uh, for example, who you like, who you communicate with in a social network type of uh, application and so on. So those are some of the things that you start looking uh, before any code is actually written. And then in order to actually do shift left, you need a lot of the uh, tools uh, in, used in a different way than you have today. So for example, a static code analysis. Uh, they started um, just becoming too heavy for people to use. Uh, if you have millions or billions of lines of code, it can take up to a day to actually go through the static uh, code analysis, which makes it impossible to shift left. Right, so new technology had to be invented, and some companies actually uh, changed the way they are doing static code analysis, no longer compiling the code, and uh, they lowered this time from you know sometimes one day to as low as an hour or thirty minutes to do the same uh, analysis. It might not be as uh, deep as before, but there's one big difference, which is now you have a tool that you can actually give to your developers. And they can actually analyze when they are writing the code. And when you're actually looking at the vulnerabilities you created while writing the code, you can actually fix faster because everything is still in your mind as an engineer. There's no need to actually create uh, Jira tickets, you know, uh, reveal those tickets and, so, and you know, do other things. And uh, that really changed the process. But you, you do need to change your tools because the old tools that were out there that you know, uh, Gardner and other praises, uh, they are no longer the tools that you might need in order to do this kind of things. Likewise, you have your package management, uh, which needs to be uh, integrated with the tools they use in order to do your source code, code control. So a good package management, if you look at the vulnerable packages, will actually tell you, okay, this is a package that you download from the internet, has a vulnerability, and if you just auto-merge, you have 90% of chance of having to do nothing and get this fixed, right? While in the past, you would have to really be careful and QA, but having that information that other people actually updated and it just worked fine because the change was very discreet is very important. 
And then the last part is about uh, configuring the machines. Uh, Dev needs machines to do their tests, so does QA. But whenever a new virtual machine is created and uh, access control is, is created, it tends to be kind of loose for QA and Dev, unless you have good blueprints. Right, so use of uh, technology such as Docker or you know Azure Blueprints to say, okay, you can create a new VM, but if you create, the disk is going to be encrypted. You're going to use the latest version of TLS and so on, and there's no other way around it. It's really important in order to shift left and make things go faster. And, and I would say, Sean, um, that uh, you know, one of the challenges as we look forward is and, and you mentioned it is we're spending a lot of time and effort and energy protecting things. And the question is 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 there a system? Is there a way? Is there a solution that makes the information that we need to protect? I, I mean, why are we sending so much private information across all these systems? Why am I giving my social security number when I'm trying to uh, you know lease an apartment? Um, you know. How do we make these systems more isolated and, and so that what traditionally we would need to protect doesn't need to be protected because if somebody gets it, it doesn't matter to them anymore. And, you know, they can't do anything with it. And and I think that that's a challenge uh, to, to rethink how a lot of our, our systems are, are built and the information that we, there is critical information that needs to be protected, but minimize its use usage uh, across all these systems. Um, yeah. and, and that's a challenge for the inventors out there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty interesting because at the same time that we see more privacy regulations, you see uh, storage becoming cheaper and uh, people doing data lakes and things like that and just collecting all the information they can, which sometimes from a security perspective become a, a data swamp. Right and a big liability for the company because the the data is is just there. Uh, one thing that I'm really curious to see how is going to uh, turn out in the long run is we always talk about security at rest and security in transit, but now it seems that it's becoming a reality to do security or, or uh, encryption. I'm sorry, encryption in transit, in, uh, encryption at rest. But now encryption in processing is something that is becoming a reality. And it would be very interesting if we could do, for example, our taxes, send our seller information to, let's say, TurboTax encrypted. They could process encrypted and send you the results without ever seeing your salary, right? And I, I think we're, we're getting there and there's some uh, you know, companies, Google, Microsoft, they're already using this type of technology in order to you know, check for passwords that have been breached and so on. So I'm really optimistic that something like that will really fundamentally change the way we build systems. Yeah, that's an interesting scenario there and something I've been thinking about quite a bit actually as well, not just for financial data, but, but personal health information and uh, you name it, right? Uh, Tom, you mentioned social security numbers to get a lease <laughs> and, and tons of other information that the uh, that agencies look for when they're uh, trying to verify who, who someone is. We're, we're coming up on time here. So I want to take the last moment from each of you with a view for the future uh, and, and hopefully a positive outlook here. Uh, 
my senses were measuring incorrectly. So if that's correct, how do we prepare for a future where security and privacy and QA come together for a better a better uh, world where we're actually measuring the right thing, perhaps, to do what we're really trying to accomplish versus we, we spend all day looking at a, a screen in the sock and we found 10 vulns or 10 incidents and that's success, right? <laughs> Tom? Well, uh, you know, as engineers and, and, and people that build software, I, I think it does require that mind shift change that, that companies need to make, that engineering teams need to make. It's something that I know that um, over the years that, that I've struggled with a little bit, um, moving teams in that direction, get out of that. It's not my job uh, because, you know, the thought of security has to be not just a compliancy issue because we all have to deal with GDPR and California privacy laws and that, but it has to be an you know, a, a customer issue. It has to be something that protects them. They have to be the first and foremost, because uh, if we're not protecting the customer, then we're out of business. And, and, you know, so that information has to come from that perspective. And if it does, then it obviously falls square onto the quality assurance team and the and engineering teams to ensure that they're doing that. It can't just be a, oh, it's, it's uh, another requirement that the legal has us do. And so that's where I see the teams needing to be much more closely integrated and, and communicative uh, in what they're working on. And I don't think, think that there's a magic bullet uh, for it. You know, uh, it, it's, uh, it's just a process change that, that companies need to make that effort to go through. And unfortunately, I think that, and I, I know you want it positive, but I think we're going to see more things like the Equifax breach and the solar winds breach. And we're going to see more of those things to the point where customers are going to demand it. Um, because when things like Facebook breach, you know, I just read it's an older story, but you know, they're hyping it up the last couple of days. If customers just ignore it, then it's never going to get fixed. And for me, I, I see that as a positive Tom, just when, once the consumer gets involved, then, then uh, we're doing our job. So yeah. Casio. Yeah, so um, I, I believe that security is always a cat and mouse game, right? As soon as we we find something and we fix, uh, the bad guys are going to find a way around it. And it's going to be like that forever. And the same thing with QA. It's just that where is human. And as much as you can try to write the the code, you know, uh, in a way that has is bug-free, you cannot achieve that. So what I believe is that the wrong answer is actually to say, okay, let's beat developers with a dead cat. That's something that uh, QA shouldn't be doing and security should be doing. Instead, what we have to do is take a different approach than, for example, what uh, the DMV does, which is uh, you have to take a, a test for uh, to get your driver's license. You fail the test, you take it again. Let's make the test harder so that people won't commit mistakes because people will always commit mistakes related to, you know, quality and that includes QA and uh, engineering. So what's the answer? The answer is exactly what we're doing today, which is to shift left, get the tools that will automate and make it harder for people to make the same mistakes they are doing. 
And that also includes to innovate out from the technologies that we have today. So for example, we started with our own data centers with machines that we have to patch. We moved to VMs, then we moved to containers. And uh, you know now we have uh, technologies that actually orchestrate containers and so on. And we're actually getting better and better in the way that uh, we deploy technology that is safer. And that should be the, you know, the same thing for the controls that we write in our software and also the programming languages and the tools that we use in security. I love it. And so I think to, to recap, uh, the, the more we can focus on the customer, the better. And the more we can understand our own culture internally and, and have a, a dedicated, meaningful effort to improve it so that we can actually shift left. Not, it's not going to happen automatically. There's no magic bullet. Uh, I think both of those uh, could sum it up quite nicely. Uh, Cassio, I know you mentioned OWASP. Uh, we're huge fans of OWASP. Um, I'll ask both of you uh, after we're done here to share some additional resources. We can put those in the show notes uh, for tips of best practices, models to follow, uh, frameworks to leverage, things like that. So folks interested can, can uh, tap into some of your knowledge through those resources as well. So Tom Cassio, great to have you on guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sean. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software as a service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.